Mark chapter 15. I will be reading verses 33 through 47, though the sermon will be on verses 40 through 47. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Thanks be to God for his holy word. May he bless the reading and preaching of his word this morning. As we approach the burial of our Lord, it would be helpful to remember the point of the Gospel of Mark. The point was to answer the question, who is Jesus? And we have discovered many different responses to this question throughout the Gospel of Mark, as some have accepted him and some have rejected him. Also, we have come across many different disciples of Jesus Christ. Of course, we have his 12 chosen disciples, but also there have been some unlikely disciples as well. These are those whom we don't normally think of when we hear of the word disciple. So in our text this morning, we will consider some distant disciples, a secret disciple, and their involvement in the fulfillment of prophecy. First, our text begins with introducing to us a few disciples who once followed and walked with Jesus. But now they have been reduced to mere spectators and onlookers as they look on and witness the death of the Son of God on the cross. Mark records that Jesus cried out two loud cries 
then breathed his last breath and died. And as he died in this way, the centurion, who was in charge of four soldiers and guarding the prisoners, said, truly this man was the son of God. Now where were his 12 or better 11 chosen disciples at this point? In all of the gospel accounts, except for the gospel of John, they were nowhere to be found. Only in John does it record for us that John himself was with Jesus' mother Mary, uh, most likely at a distance. Because this is where we find these three female disciples. It says they were looking on from a distance. Now, who were they? There was Mary Magdalene, from whom Jesus once exercised seven demons. Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, we know this. Because here she is identified as the mother of James the Younger and Joseph, who were both identified as Jesus' half-brothers back in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. And there was Salome. This was most likely the other Mary. There's a lot of Marys in the gospel. Uh, The other Mary, the sister of the mother of Jesus, who was the wife of Clopas and the mother of the disciples James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now Mark intently places them at a distance as they look on, because this was to fulfill prophecy from Psalm 38, verses 9 through 11. It says this, O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes... It has also gone from me. It was like he was in a state of death. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague. And my nearest kin stand far off. Jesus has no comfort in his dying minute. From his closest friends and his relatives stand far off at a distance and watch. They stand from a distance in mourning and weeping. He is left alone with only God as his help. This is something that all Christians must face one day at the hour of our own death where God will be our only hope and salvation. And as I've mentioned before, at this point in Mark, women became an important element to the gospel narrative. It was a woman who anointed Jesus to prepare him for this very moment, his burial. And for the most part, it was women who will be involved in his burial And will be there three days later. In fact women were always around Jesus and his ministry. It says when he was in Galilee they followed him. And ministered to him. And there were also many other women. Who came up with him to Jerusalem. During his triumphal entry just a week prior to his death. Women have always played an important role. During Jesus' ministry. And throughout the entire history of the church. Just because women do not hold office, such as pastor, elder, or deacon, does not mean that women are unimportant to the service of God. That is one of the greatest misconceptions in the church today, that one must hold office to bear any importance. So as we have been introduced to some unlikely disciples, yet there is still one more. He is not what you think of when you mention the word disciple. You can say he is a 
secret disciple. I can only guess that maybe there are some of you today who are also secret disciples. But this secret disciple will not remain a secret disciple for long. Now Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. and he died at 3 p.m. And evening had come. Uh, This is important to the Jews because according to the law, they were not allowed to leave a dead body on a tree overnight. Since the one who is hanged on a tree is cursed, according to Deuteronomy 21, you would curse the land. Not only that, but also according to the law, you were not allowed to conduct burials on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath day was approaching. The Sabbath would begin at sundown, which was anywhere between 5 and 6 p.m. So you can say that time was running out. They only had a couple hours to remove his body from the cross ASAP. There was an urgency to bury Jesus. And here comes a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who would request to have Jesus' body. So who was this Joseph of Arimathea? And why do I say he is an unlikely disciple? Well, first, he is from Arimathea, which was believed to be a Jewish town located 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And like I mentioned before, he is not your average disciple. Uh, Due to various misunderstandings of Jesus' teaching concerning his gospel, especially out in the world, Joseph of Arimathea would not be considered a top contender for discipleship. Why? Well, let us consider his stature. First, according to Matthew, he records that Joseph was a rich man. This would contradict much of what is taught by what is called the social gospel. The social gospel is probably one of the most famous gospels out there, along with the health and wealth, prosperity gospel. And this teaches that Jesus is the Savior of the poor, and that salvation is granted to someone based on their class, race, or the amount of suffering that someone has endured, rather than by faith alone in Christ alone. The message of the social gospel was never the message of the true gospel. Now, there are warnings concerning being rich, but that's because of the danger of having a love for money that replaces our love for God. Because Jesus' gospel was always concerning the heart, not someone's class or someone's economic status, whether you are rich or poor. You can check off every box that you want and still be unconverted. He is the savior of both rich and poor as he was concerned with the heart and soul, not what you possess or don't possess. And Christian disciples were never obligated to take a vow of poverty because there is the danger of using that to believe that we can merit heaven by what we do or don't do or by what we have or don't have. Secondly, he was a respected man of the council. What council? The Sanhedrin. He was a member of the chief priests, elders, and scribes. 
Uh, This is the same group of Jewish leaders who sent soldiers to arrest Jesus and brought him before a, a corrupt court and charged him with false charges. He was among this corrupt group who condemned Jesus to death. See, the Sanhedrin consisted of 70 members, 24 heads of the priesthood, 24 heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, and 22 scribes who were educated in the law and the scriptures. We can assume that he was one of the heads of the 12 tribes because he is not mentioned as either a scribe or a priest. So we can say he was a man of authority. And he took part in the governing of Israel. He was a politician of sorts. Uh, I know I've said many negative things about politicians, but you can trust about nine out of ten of them. Thirdly, for those who doubt, even though he was among this corrupt group, he was indeed a disciple of Jesus Christ, as Matthew and John tell us. He was a believer. Mark says, Joseph was himself looking for the kingdom of God. That is a description of a believer. There are no such thing as seekers. Only believers seek the kingdom of God. The Christian disciple is one who is looking for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he teaches his disciples, not the general crowd. He teaches his disciples what kingdom ethics looks like. And he tells them that they are not to be anxious over food or clothing. But rather they are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now the question is, how? How would he look for the kingdom of God? Or how do we look for the kingdom of God? Well, if he was one of the religious leaders, he would have been familiar with the scriptures. And he would have heard Jesus' teachings. He probably put these evidences together in his mind and decided to seek the kingdom in Jesus. But what would make us wonder is the fact that he was a disciple in secret. John would go on to reveal to us that Joseph was a disciple, but secretly for the fear of Of the Jews. So here is a possibility that you are indeed a secret disciple. And he was not the only one who sought the kingdom of God in this way from this corrupt group. He was a disciple, much like the way Nicodemus was a disciple, as he was a Pharisee and he met with Jesus at night secretly so that no one could see him. But there had to be a turning point. Just like for all Christians, there must be a moment when we must make a public profession of faith. So what was the turning point for Joseph? What would be the turning point for you to take a stand for your faith? To stand and be counted as a member of the body? First, he had enough. He was sick and tired of what had been going on with the the corrupt leadership of the Sanhedrin. It says that he took courage. In Luke, it says of him that he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. Speaking of that night when they took Jesus 
falsely accused him and condemned him to death. So the situation surrounding the cross and the cross itself was the turning point for Joseph. The death of Jesus was when the rubber met the road for Joseph. This was the crossroads of his faith. So in some we can say it was the death of Jesus that transformed Joseph's resolve. We have seen this throughout church history, especially during the Reformation and other times of injustice when the church was either being corrupted with false teaching and practice or when Christians were being forced to take part in sin. There was a conviction building up in some who were living peaceful and quiet lives until the lines were crossed and finally they had to take courage. Beloved, there is no following Christ without risk. You may be called to risk it all for Christ, much like Joseph here, or you may be called to risk very little. You may lose friends, family, wealth, or even status in society when taking a stand for Christ. There may be a day when the Lord will grant you a circumstance or situation where you will be called to confess Him. And it may either be embarrassing for a moment, or it may cost you your life. But whatever the price is, the reward far surpasses what we suffer in this world. See, Joseph's resolve here was the same as Paul's when he said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He had enough. And it was time to make a public stand. Secondly, he sought to honor his Lord. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, since Pilate had jurisdiction over his body at this point. Normally after a few days of rotting and being eaten by birds, the body of a criminal would be thrown in the Jerusalem garbage dump known as Gehenna. Now that is the same word that Jesus used to describe hell. So Joseph asked Pilate for Jesus' body so that he could give him a proper burial. All this time, Joseph had been serving the Lord secretly out of fear, but now he has been emboldened to serve his Lord openly at his death. Now he sought to serve his Lord even when by all appearances there was no hope. At this point, Jesus was dead and many discouragements may have been plaguing the minds and souls of his disciples. So what Joseph does here sounds like the exact opposite of what the rest of the disciples did when they fled from Jesus' side at the time of his arrest. Contrast his devotion with the disciples' devotion when their lives were at stake. Joseph was a secret disciple until the moment of truth when it was time for him to step up. And he risked his riches, his livelihood, his position among the Sanhedrin. He risked being totally cut off from Israel because Jesus was now considered an enemy to the Jews. He was considered unclean and a curse. So he risked his life to retrieve Jesus' body. While the disciples 
were public disciples until the rubber met the road. And then they became secret disciples. But that was only for a moment. Because we can also say that this is the starting point of when Jesus' disciples would begin to be emboldened to preach the gospel. And from this point on, they would preach it to the death. Because three days later, the light of the Son of Righteousness would shine brightly and the darkness of this day would forever remain in the past. Now, as I said before, this gospel is a gospel of many responses. We have heard throughout the Gospel of Mark responses from the crowds who either accepted him or rejected him. We have heard responses from the political leaders like Herod who sought to kill him from birth. We heard the responses from the disciples. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And one would betray him while the other would deny him. The religious leaders, as they reject him, falsely accuse and charge him and condemn him to death. And then we heard the response of the centurion and the guards who said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Now, as this text is all about responses to Jesus, let us also consider Pilate's response to this request from Joseph. Because Mark placed Pilate's response here purposely to contrast Joseph's response to Jesus' death. What was Pilate's response? Well, he was shocked. Just as a centurion was shocked as he watched and heard Jesus die. He was surprised that he died so quickly. Remember, it normally took anywhere between two to three days before someone would die on the cross. And summoning the centurion, he asked him, whether he was already dead. Now, the centurion would have known because he was an expert in the field of execution. So when Pilate learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. This was Pilate's way of admitting that Jesus was indeed innocent and not a real threat to Rome. But also, this was a nail in the coffin of Pilate's conscience. He gave up Jesus' corpse just as when he washed his hands, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. He was dismissing Jesus as if he was of no importance. Beloved, this is why it is important to be attentive to God's word each week. This is why every week you are called to respond to God's word. There is no promise that if you harden yourself against God's word today, that you'll be softened by God's word tomorrow. In fact, there is no promise of another chance to respond to God's word tomorrow. Uh, This is why the author of Hebrews says repeatedly, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And it usually begins with a simple questioning of the truth, much like Pilate. What is truth? Then you begin to say to yourself, well, I don't agree with that. Setting yourself up as God. Then you slowly harden yourself more and more. And church becomes just a weekly host of criticizing what is preached. 
till eventually you fall away. That is why you ought to examine what is your response to Jesus' word as it is preached. Is it like Joseph's? Or is it like Pilate's response as he sends away his lifeless corpse as if it meant nothing? Now the irony here is that Pilate, who was responsible for Jesus' death, was an instrument in God's hands for the salvation of sinners. And Joseph, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, the group who voted to condemn Jesus to death, now serves Jesus openly. They have both, believer and unbeliever, been used by God. So now let us consider how these unlikely disciples were involved in the fulfillment of prophecy. As we approach his burial, we must view this as the climax of Jesus' humiliation. Our larger catechism Question 50 states that Christ's humiliation consisted not only of his death and his life, but also his burial. And to identify with Jesus' humiliation, a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea would take on the responsibility to bury him. He devoted himself to the service of his master. We can say... He was rich in his devotion as well. He bought a linen shroud, took down Jesus' body from the cross, and wrapped him in that linen shroud. Remember, linen was material, often reserved for the rich. It was very expensive. Then Joseph and presumably his servants proceeded to carry his body to a garden. Jerusalem was surrounded by gardens, and one of them was believed to be owned by Joseph of Arimathea. There in his garden was a tomb cut out of rock where they would lay Jesus' body. It is also said that Nicodemus, the other secret disciple, was also present to assist them with 70 pounds of myrrh and aloes to embalm Jesus' body. Now, this was a new tomb where no one had ever been laid. This tomb would have been reserved for Joseph and his family. And as you walk into the tomb, you'd find niches... And on one of those niches or benches, they laid Jesus' body wrapped in this linen shroud. And this was to fulfill prophecy. Isaiah 53 verse 9 says this, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, meaning the lowly and sinless Son of God would be buried in a tomb reserved for other sinners, reserved for the wicked. That's a general way of speaking of sinners. And one of them would be a rich man. Then Joseph rolled a stone about four and a half feet in diameter against the entrance of the tomb. Later, the chief priests and Pharisees would convince Pilate to seal the tomb and set a guard there to secure it in case Uh, The disciples would come around and steal Jesus' body to try to fool everyone into the fact that he did indeed rise from the dead. Now at this moment, many of the disciples would have felt as if their hope was hanging in the balance. This is where faith and doubt collide. What was to happen next? I know he spoke about the resurrection, but in the face of death and a burial, where death becomes all too real... They must have doubted and questioned, how could this man be brought back to life? 
His body is lifeless. Have we ever asked that question at the burial of a loved one? When the casket closes and is buried. At that moment, death becomes all too real. So when the stone was rolled over the tomb, imagine what you would have been thinking. The few disciples who were looking on at the cross, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, appear once again as they saw where he was buried. Imagine the sorrow as they witnessed the stone being rolled over the tomb. Imagine the sorrow of a mother. It was indeed finished. I say this because in my own family's culture, the most intense weeping and wailing comes when the casket is closed and the tomb is sealed. This is why many people do not like to stick around when the casket drops or the tomb is sealed. The women were looking on because they would later return after the Sabbath to anoint his body with spices since they didn't have enough time to do so before. But also Joseph wouldn't have imagined what the Lord would use him for. This was the providence of God at work. Joseph wouldn't have imagined that God would consecrate this tomb with angels and the resurrection of his dear and beloved son. The mighty power of God would be at work in this tomb. In three days, Jesus would rise and conquer death. Their hopes would be restored. Their faith confirmed and strengthened. And all the secret disciples would no longer be secret disciples. Now the question for you is, are you a secret disciple? Much like Joseph was. The reality is, you cannot remain a secret disciple forever. Either secrecy or discipleship, one will have to give way to the other. Either secrecy will eventually cancel out discipleship, or discipleship will cancel out secrecy. Every disciple must stand and be counted. Now, this doesn't mean you become an obnoxious member of your community. This doesn't mean that you're always seeking the limelight. This doesn't mean that you're always on the offense, being offensive. No, you probably will never make the headline news as a disciple. Remember, this isn't social activism or protesting. But discipleship comes from a heart that truly believes. It is in line with what Paul says. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See? Faith and works. Believe in the heart and confess with our mouths. One does not go without the other. He calls us to confess him before men. Because he is the light that we shine. The light that we shine is not just wrapped up in being nice and kind people. But at root, He is the light of the world that makes us lights of the world. Now this does take courage, and courage is what sinners often lack. We want to avoid confrontation, and 
we run from the prospect that we might anger someone. Beloved, we're always going to anger someone. On a good day, we might anger everybody. Uh, J. Gresson Machen, who was the founder of the OPC, in his day, he angered everybody. He angered liberals on one side as they were trying to take away from the Bible. They were trying to take away from the truth of the Bible that it was indeed the Word of God, and he defended the Bible. But also, he upset the conservatives of his day who tried to add to the Bible. They tried to get him to join all this social activism and prohibition and all these other things. And he opposed them. He said, no, you cannot bind and constrain me to things that are not found in the Bible. You see, so he angered everyone. Beloved, this is when we must rely upon God's Spirit and pray that He fills us with true knowledge, wisdom, grace, and courage. Pray that we would discern between true courage and a fool's courage that is just trying to stir up problems or trying to prove something or prove ourselves. That we would discern what is actually honoring to God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You see, that was what marked Joseph's devotion as he simply asked for Jesus' body that he may honor his Lord and give him a proper burial. And remember, what Joseph experienced is what God promises in the scriptures for all of us, that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is the standard of church membership as we stand before a congregation And profess our faith in Him. But also, this might mean that you will be called to say something when the gospel truth is being threatened in the church. Or when others publicly reject Jesus while you decide to confess Him before men. And the promise is, you will not be put to shame. Because this all relates back to the question that Joseph had to answer at that pivotal moment. What or who is your treasure? Joseph was rich in earthly treasures, but he also decided that Christ was his true treasure and he risked it all for him. He risked all that he had and all that he was identified with, not so that he could have something to brag about, not so that he could have star-studded attention, Or a book written about him. He didn't have a martyr complex. He sought to honor his Lord. Out of heartfelt affection and love for Christ. Beloved, if it is not out of heartfelt affection and love for Christ. It becomes legalism. It becomes something that we hold over other people. It becomes another notch on our belt of worldly successes. So what will be your response to our Lord who died for us and who was buried for us? Listen to Paul's prayer for the Ephesians after he told them that God was responsible for their salvation and election. He prays for them and and I pray for you that God would give you the spirit 
of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Because, beloved, every day we are called to choose. The gospel calls us to respond. Where will you stand? With Joseph or with Pilate? And is Christ your treasure? Don't delay your response another day. Because by then, it may be too late. Amen.